Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 424, Mental Health-themed board games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome back, and we're so glad to have you here for this special episode. Many of you may not be aware, in the U.S., we take the month of May, and as part of the American Hospital Association, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So for this special episode, our feature review, will be talking about tabletop games, primarily board games, that give us an idea, an exposure to the different elements, the different experiences that people might have as far as mental illness is concerned. These are not games to help with your mental illness. They're definitely a lot challenging, but these are games that will help explore the topic so that you're more aware of mental health issues, concerns, and things that people around might be dealing with. So that's going to be our feature review and an important feature review, right, Anthony? Yeah, no, I I really like these types of games for for a lot of reasons. One, because I don't think we talk about mental health enough. It's this weird taboo kind of thing where people get weird talking to each other about their own mental health issues or what they do to address it. Um, So a game is a really cool and interesting way to explore these different possible situations that people might be in without necessarily having to have those conversations. Like you can just see what that might look like in a certain situation. Um, And a lot of these games do a good job of that. And they're a lot of fun too. So it's a good way to kind of give you some information, education, exposure, and have a lot of fun at the same time. And as you said, Anthony, we don't talk about this too much. I mean, if you break a bone, you talk about it. But if you have a problem with your brain, you don't talk about it. We want to talk a little bit about it. So I think that's an important topic, especially for us. A lot of uh, people out there who identify as men or in that male kind of culture, we definitely don't talk about this stuff. No. So <laughs> we want to have the discussion over a good game and talk about the different elements. And again, these are really fun games to get to the table. So we'll be talking about that on our feature review. But before we get to that, Anthony, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the tabletop universe. And especially over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing nothing pretty much other than, I guess, getting the information, the word out there about all of these tabletop award ceremonies that are coming up right. and nominations. <laughs> and I'm just like, and another one, and another one. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Cause like, let's cheer them on. Turns out somebody actually gave out awards. <laughs> yeah. Like I always forget how fast the golden geek does their voting. It's like two weeks. So by the time we finished recording and published that episode, it was like a week later. They're like, here's the winners. We're like, oh, shoot. So like, and from a pure content perspective as a publisher, we're like, oh, man, people aren't going to listen to that when they could just go see who won. But now we can tell you who won, even though you you can just look it up. No, 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 no. This is audio, man. They listen. Yeah, you're listening to us. And we're going to tell you who won. (laughs) Uh so, I mean, we went through these the other weeks. If you want to hear about all the nominations, and we did go through all the nominations. We and there did. were a lot, like 100-something nominations for Golden Geek Awards. But the winners of the Golden Ooh. Geek Awards, uh, so for best two-player game, it was Splendor Duel. Okay. neither of us picked, but probably because we haven't played it and don't really love the original Splendor. But from everything I've heard, it's a very good two-player version of that. Nice. Artwork and presentation, Flamecraft. I think we both thought this would win. Yes. Uh, just cute little dragons. I mean, 
I how mean, could it on. not? <laughs> like, uh, cooperative game, we got Return to Dark Tower, which I think we jokingly said would win everything yes. um, in all three award ceremonies that we've talked about. So there yes. you go. It won a thing. Not a surprise. Uh, expansion, Dune Imperium Rise of X. And I was surprised by that because Immortality was also nominated and I thought it would split the vote, but it did not. It still won. X, man. It's X for the win. Yeah. And one of the runners up actually was Immortality. So yes. everybody's digging Dune. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, innovative game and light game of the year were both Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition. Very happy about that. I thought that was a very good pick for both. Agreed. Medium game of the year, Heat Pedal to the Metal. Uh, again, I kind of thought it would go that direction. Wonderland's War came in second, which mm-hmm. also was not surprising. Heavy game of the year, Carnegie, which I think we both said was the best heavy game of last year. So Yes. And we had that down. We're killing it, man. I'm telling you. Uh, party game, Ready, Set, Bet, because people love betting on their horses. Of course they do. No matter how potentially deadly the sport <laughs> is, apparently. It is. Um, <laughs> Poor horses, Dan. It's terrifying, yeah. Uh, print and play aquamarine looks very cool yeah love the fishies we we didn't know a lot about these these games in this category but this one looked cool we did Uh, not print nor did we play no (laughs) solo game got touring machine and listen we we said a lot about touring machine isn't a game game but if it's anything it's a solo experience so i'm okay with this you did say that yeah yeah thematic game heat pedal to the metal surprising yep racing it's yeah. a good racing game. Uh, War game, Undaunted Stalingrad. I think yep. you pretty much flat out said this would win. So. I did. Yep. Yep. Uh, best podcast. Uh, this game is broken. Great show. So congrats funny, funny. to those guys over there. Very funny people. And then best board game app was Everdell. Yeah. Which I don't remember if that's what we picked for our award back in January or not, but it was highly discussed, if not. They were all really good. I mean, I think this is one of those weird. <laughs> times in board game history and maybe maybe it's it's now a thing like the apps are actually good <laughs> i yeah. mean we're there we did it kids we did Woo! it <laughs> and then every now and then one comes along like munchkin and just lays a big old goose egg and people are like why is this yeah. so bad yeah not now we're mad now we're back yeah. to being mad <laughs> <laughs> the expectation is that they'll be good now we're not surprised anymore we're just like no. why is this terrible <laughs> And it's been around for a while. It's really, it's it's terribly surprising that it's as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. My sister picked it up because we played it with the family. And she's like, and then she's like, oh, no, this is bad. And I'm just like, oh, you thought this was bad? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. That's not a good sign. No. I played the demo at PAX. And it was yeah. just a demo. And I was just like, what is this? And again, I, yeah. I, a lot of times, like, they really want to do well by the game. And they want to put maybe put their mark on it and a whole bunch of different things. Makes complete sense. The challenge happens to be where you take away what makes the game the game. And that that's what they did, you know, yeah. in their effort to make it better. Just you gotta show the tableau. Munchkin, Terraforming Mars, so many games are about the tableau. Wingspan does it the best. Like Wingspan's great. You could get the whole tableau. It makes sense. It's playable. It's, you know, understandable. You've got to be able to see the tableau. And when you don't yeah. do the tableau and you throw some other things in to make it like animated and weird, like, I love that idea. I just need to set the tableau. <laughs> I want to play the game. So, Anthony, speaking about uh, games that I don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. Yep. Fantasy Flight is doing a CCG, bro. 
I mean, technically it's a TCG because, I don't know, licenses, but they're doing a TCG. So what the heck does that mean? Yeah, so, I, okay, so this this came out, what was it, last Wednesday or Tuesday? They announced a quote-unquote non-gimmicky TCG, Star Wars Unlimited. Non-gimmicky? Yeah. That's and you know, what, I've been in this hobby about. for like 25 <laughs> years. I still don't know the difference between TCG and CCG. So if one of our nerdier friends out there could write in and tell us what the difference is, I would appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's new Star Wars collectible card game. It's not the first. It won't be the last. I think it's the fourth. Um, <laughs> and listen, I have a really soft spot in my heart for Star Wars collectible card games. This was, I played a little bit of Magic when it first came out, but I was pretty young. But when I was in high school, middle school, really, going yeah. into high school, I went head over heels, face first into Decipher's Star Wars CCG. I love Same. that game. I spent yeah. all of my extra money on that game. Same. Um, I've played it since. It's not the best game. But <laughs> at the time, it was the second coming of card games. I was like, oh my god, I love this. Yeah. And so anytime one of these comes out, I'm like, yeah. Give it to me. I will buy all this stuff. I bought so much Star Wars Destiny stuff. Yeah. You know, I bought, and we get into like miniatures games, same yeah. type of thing. Like uh, Fantasy Flights had a couple miniatures. One of them was collectible. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're like, we're doing it again. And you know what? I think this time I'm not in because, Ooh. and it's not because the game doesn't look interesting. It, like the, the, the scuttlebutt is that they're kind of building on some of the stuff they have from like L5R and from Game of Thrones and like some of those like LCGs that have kind of fallen apart. And mechanically, I'm sure the game will be very good. But their support of their games is very bad. Mm. Like they've over the last five, ten years, I can't think of a single game that has not have a bu- had a bunch of problems. Netrunner yeah. was probably the longest running one that didn't have issues, and then they lost the license because they screwed that up somehow. So, Star Wars Destiny made it three years, I think, maybe, not even, before it collapsed. Keyforge made it two years, two and a half years before they broke it somehow, and decided yeah. they didn't want to invest in like continuing that. Um, I cannot... And, and honestly, their organized play in the last few years has just been terrible. Like, yeah. And if you're in an area where they do a good job, awesome. But I have bought into their games several times and lived in different places and not been able to find communities to play them with because yes. they don't support it. So I cannot, I can't do this. <laughs> like, I'm not interested at all. Um, and you know what? Star Wars is not at peak Star Wars right now. I think a lot of people are skeptical of the IP at the moment. So I just don't know why they're doing this mm-hmm. uh from a, all those perspectives and then you mentioned before we even started recording like there's other issues too like we have other ccgs coming out that people are way more excited about oh yeah yeah and it, again this is anthony even going further back to the miniature games x-men right. miniatures armada where you and i loved it invested mm-hmm. a lot in it could not find an organized play to save our lives in those yeah. areas and that was that was prior to COVID. That was at the peak of you know friendly local game stores, and other companies did it. WizKids did it for you know bigger, which is surprising. So that didn't make any particular sense. But again, some of the challenges here, especially now more than ever, I guess everyone's seeing dollar signs. I mean, particularly yeah. Lord of the Rings, the Magic version with the million dollar one ring card that will eventually yeah. come out at some point. But Flesh and Blood. 
if you go back a couple of episodes, we talked about the top selling CCG games and all the top selling games for 2022. Flesh and Blood was like number four, which was yeah. huge because you got the you got Yu-Gi-Oh, you got Pokemon, you got Magic, not in that order, of course, but and now yeah. Flesh and Blood is like taking over, and again, surprisingly, but they're doing it. And then Anthony, there is another game that's just going to destroy everything, and I don't know, maybe even make it to number one. Yeah, Disney Lorcana. Like I, I know some people are talking funny about it they're like oh i don't you know disney it's cute whatever i'm like people are gonna spend so much money on this stupid game and like i don't know if it's gonna be good or not it doesn't matter people are going to dump money on this thing i could easily see it cracking the top three. Uh, oh yeah I, like overcoming magic or pokemon i don't know but Yu-Gi-Oh! better watch out i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah the disney adults out there will definitely collect this which will skyrocket the secondary market and the talk from Gamma, the trade show for Tabletop Gaming, has been that this is very good. And people mm. have been very happy with this. And again, Gamma is the trade show. So the people who went there are serious players, gamers, publishers, designers, and things like that. So if the system was bad, we would have heard about it. Because mm. I think that would have been the biggest news story out there. The fact that they're utilizing everything in that kind of Disney universe... It's going to be hard. I mean, I don't, I don't, no one, no one has IPs like that. No, no, I don't know how you compete with that. Like, cause they could pull anything from anywhere. Um, they could have pulled Star Wars. That's I don't what know. <laughs> Why? What are you doing? Put them in there. I'll be happy. Yeah. I don't know. I just, even if Lorcana wasn't coming out, which I'm probably also not going to buy, but I'm a little more tempted to, I cannot give Fantasy Flight more money for another collectible anything. Yeah. Like, Keyforge is coming back out this summer. There's actually a, a competition and a tournament series starting here in Philadelphia that I'm probably going to go to. And so I will report back on that in July. Uh-huh. Um, but it's from a different company. Christian Peterson went off and started his own company and he bought yeah. Keyforge out from under Fantasy Flight. I'm like, great. Thank God. Because Fantasy Flight was trying to destroy it. It's just what they do. They break things. And it sucks <laughs> because we used to love that company. But they it built- was the best. It was honestly the best company. They just don't do anything anymore it's it's depressing yeah it's a shame (laughs) all right well on that fun-filled note (laughs) yeah sorry my my fantasy flight rant for the day the amount of money i've given that company and the amount of times they've smacked me in the back of the head for it Uh. (laughs) many a cards many a miniatures yeah a, a lot of that kind of stuff out there so if you have a time machine and you can go back to the original Fantasy Flight, you'll find some really excellent games and even better organized play. But unfortunately, that is a time that has passed, at least yes. for now. It is gone. Yes. All right. Well, let's take it up a notch, Anthony. That's what we're saying. That's what the industry's saying. What's our friend saying out there? What's our question of the week? All right. Our question of the week this week, I asked everybody, what's your favorite tie-breaking mechanism and Ooh. why? So every rule book has it some way to break ties some of them are tongue-in-cheek some of them are very serious some of them are dismissive at best where the designer is like i don't care what you do but (laughs) there's a lot of different options out there so i asked people which ones jump out as the most interesting um drew friend of the show says you know what none i don't think i've ever been satisfied with tiebreakers you finish the game and the tide leaders are excited and amazed they tied 
Then the back of the rule book is consulted and tells the group one person won. The winner feels guilty and the loser feels cheated. More games should simply end in a shared victory. Agreed. Yes, I 100% agree, Drew. I I have been on the losing end of that and we're like, and I go to put it into my app and I'm like, I don't want to mark that I lost because I got the same, <laughs> I got the high score. That's dumb. <laughs> um, Mini Mega Moose over on the Discord says, Arboretum, the players each plant a tree, care for it for five years, and the player with the tallest tree wins. Very, that's a very good one. Uh, I feel like I've asked this question or a variant of it in the past, and that's come up. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah, that is a really good one. <laughs> All right. Well, that was going to be mine. I, oh, I, no. <laughs> I actually pulled that up from the rule book. So, yes, it states, I'll just to prove it, uh, if there's a tie, the tied players must each plant a tree. In five years' time, the player whose tree has grown the tallest wins. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Because, again, if that victory means that much to you, you can do this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it probably doesn't, or it will dissuade you from doing so. So, yeah. But that's, honestly, to be fair, that is the second tiebreaker. The first tiebreaker is the player with the most species presented in their Arboretum to win. Ah, boo. I know. I know. It might have been a correction from the previous edition, because I remember reading the previous edition and being like, that is the most awesome, I don't, I don't know, like, call back, right? Five years from now. Yeah, yeah. Remember five <laughs> years ago we played a game? Like, what? <laughs> I planted a tree. It's bigger than yours. Like, what? When? Why? No. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, and, I mean, like, and when we go over to the Facebook page, uh, yes. Nat Perone also posted Arboretum, each player plants a tree, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my friends. Yes. yes. And it has the most likes of all the comments on That's this it. post. That's so the best. Yeah. I, I think we have the winner, like just in general. Like, and it's a shared victory amongst the three of you, obviously. Oh, there so. you go. See, I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah. You don't want them you don't want them to go out and plant trees just, just to see who actually won one. I mean, y'all can come back to me in five years. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um so we had a couple others. I think uh Chris mentions the thinking time on board game arena. So as one of the worst tiebreakers. I don't, I actually kind of like that. If, if nothing else, like if you care, you care that that is kind of lame. You're like, Oh, I took longer to think that sucks that I lost, but I think it's funny because it's almost like an, a meta joke about board gaming, mm-hmm. but that's just me. Cause I don't spend that long thinking. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see. We had a couple more answers here. Lots of people agree that shared victories are good. Um, and then Brad mentions, just keep it simple, remaining money, remaining resources. Yeah. Like don't get creative. Don't get silly. Like I agree, Brad, but what about the tree? What <laughs> about the tree? Brad hasn't thought out the tree mechanic yet. So, yes. but yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, <laughs> look, if you and I get the same score, Anthony, and you have a bunch of like money and resources left over, like you played more efficiently. Like you right. just, you know, so like, that makes perfect sense because whatever else it took you to get there, you got there. But I don't know. Maybe it's like a win and then like a co-win. Like there's a winner and then there's a co-winner. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, look, they're all fun. They're all great. And I appreciate when they they do something like that. Again, I think half the time, although, like, I think I may even say more than half the time. When it comes down to a tiebreaker, I don't think the thought has been placed 
in that rule book to kind of really compensate the person who maybe did a little bit better because like turn order might mm. be a thing where like, Oh, whoever was the first player in the thing and did the thing. And you're just like, but why, you know, it's like the same thing. Like when you choose who's going to go first and they're like the person who last ate chocolate or went to Paris or read a book. Right. And you're just like, well, that's not fair or fun. <laughs> No, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no way, no way that's going to be really. Again, it's thematically very fun, but also it really impacts the gameplay. So, yeah. one person's like, "I just got back from a birthday party. I had chocolate cake." You're like, "Okay, all right, <laughs> great, good for you. You go first. <laughs> Imagine you own the game and you really need to go first because it's it'll help you with your victory. You just like carry a chocolate bar with you. And you're like, <laughs> this is like just eat it at the table while people are reading through the rules. You're like, oh, oh my, did did I happen to eat a chocolate bar? And know that it was in the rule book? Oh, that could not be. That can't be me. How could that possibly be? No. That yes. was just coincidental, if nothing. So yeah, That's funny. Absolutely. All right. So that's our question of the week. Please hit us up on all the different social medias, and we would love for you to join us on our Discord channel. If you'd love to join us there and join some of the great conversations that are ongoing 24-7, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BGA. So much good content and material. And I think I should mention, again, this week, another Dirty Dozen of the top hottest Kickstarters. Kickstarter Tuesday is going to happen. I'm going to check GameFound. Still have not found something there that just, like, really piqued my interest. But maybe this Tuesday. Maybe this is Tuesday that actually is a GameFound Tuesday. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. So stay tuned, people. And again, thank you all for reaching out to me. And if there is something you want us to review, hit us up on all our social medias boardgamersanonymous.com and we'll get that reviewed and or previewed all right anthony so that's everything that's happening with our great friends out there let's talk about the games that we want to get to the table and let's let people know why they should play them all right yeah so mine is going to be very simple because there's almost no information about it oh uh, terraforming mars prelude two <laughs> i honestly thought this was like an april fool's joke yeah, i, I honestly like, it, yeah. like I, I saw this posted on social media and I was like, it looks, it looks fake. It looks like yeah. someone doctored up the regular box and put a number two on it. I'm just like, this can't be a real thing. There is so much not related to the gameplay to talk about here. Uh, it, the terrible name to start. Terrible. Name. terrible. The subtitle, the subtitle, expanding your start on Mars. Not good. Uh, Patrick Leader from Leader Games pointed out on Twitter that the image on top looks like the Doom guy. Yes. This so was... that's fun. <laughs> like, what's going on here? What are they doing? How much you want to bet this was all like, you know, AI generated? Oh my gosh, that wouldn't surprise. Well, I don't know if it wouldn't surprise me, but it at this day and age, I guess it wouldn't. I mean, the odd font, the the Doom character in the back. Like, don't you think they were like, hey, we make a box cover for. Yeah. Prelude two, right? Like yeah. they're like, the, 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 it's they on Mars, like, and the, the the predictive text engines like, well, who goes on Mars? Well, Doom guy goes on Mars. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, and that's basically all we know is a silly cover. They they said there's new corporations. Um, they've added effects to like integrate the expansions a little bit more because right now they're not integrated at all, and yeah. then more Prelude cards. That's it. That's all we know. It's going to be on Kickstarter, which a lot of people are annoyed about. Oh, but no. Come on. All the recent Terraforming Mars stuff has been on Kickstarter. It's dumb because Stronghold Games has money and they don't need to do this, but they're going to do it. And 
hopefully people just stop backing them because there's no reason to back stuff on Kickstarter for Terraforming Mars because you it's, can get it later for less. That's not it. much later either. Like and significantly less, like not a little bit less, like half. Yeah. So. I, I mean, so much so that they've even had to say that in their Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. And I think people have been really upset because these games and, and great for stronghold games, they, they've gone to big box stores. Yeah. And because they've gone to big box stores, they've been heavily discounted, not just like the normal online retailer, but they've been heavily discounted. And I guess the only other thing I want to say about this is like, I guess not, I mean, we're not alone on this, but I think we were right. Like, this has always been our contention that Prelude is the best expansion for Terraform Mars. It is essential. Do not play Terraform Mars without Prelude. I'm sorry. I, you know, like, it's it's so essential that they should have a second edition that just bakes it in. The fact that yes. you still have to go buy it separately for another twenty dollars, it's it's thirty probably. It's silly. It makes the game a hundred bucks, basically. Because you have to have this expansion. And it's a weird again, it's a it's a weird like you get the box. It's a small box, mm-hmm. but there's less even less inside the box. Yeah. <laughs> like you open this box, you're like, oh cool, it's expansion. It's like a small deck of cards. I'm like, oh, they got me. They yeah. got me. Yeah, yeah. So but very important cards. And just every time I see artwork from Terraforming Mars, because I have Ares Expedition like right next to me on my shelf with the big box with the, the all the expansions. And I look over, I'm like, oh, that's really pretty. Like it's like watercolored. It's cool. It's like all these comets raining down on this domed city. And then here you have like chunky looking doom guy looking at this empty nothingness. <laughs> You're like, why is it so ugly? It's still ugly. It doesn't need to be anymore. But they're, I guess it's the brand. I don't know. <laughs> I I want to again. I want to give credit to all of these people. There's a lot of people here. If you go to Board Game Geek and you go to Terraforming Mars Prelude Two forums, and someone posted on started a thread about so about the name. And again, <laughs> there's a lot of people here. I can't name them all because again, all due credit to all these people. Like you can name the game Prelude Two, Prelude Harder. Prelude 2, Electric Boogaloo, Prelude 2, now it's personal, Too Fast, Too Prelude, Um, (laughs) Prelude 2, 98 weeks later, Prelude 2, Who's who's Terraforming Now, Um, (laughs) Prelude 2, The Wrath of uh, Phobos, Uh, Terraform Wars Preluder, Uh, I mean, it's just, these people are so smart, these are so good, this is good. Prelude to Attack of the Promos, yes. Prelude to the Quickening, <laughs> Prelude to the second one, uh, Prelude, Terraforming Wars, Prelude the sequel, Terraforming Wars, Prelude. Search for more money. I want the search, search for, for more, more money. money. Is that on there? It's in there. Yep, nice. it's in there. Yep. Uh, yeah, shout out to Andrew Frazier for that. Prelude to the search for more money. I think that's, uh, and then the Prelude to more merchandising, which again, if you if you know your space balls, you know where that came from. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, these guys are, I mean, everyone's brilliant on this. There's just like so many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Prelude 2, Prelude 2, B, B, (laughs) 2. Prelude Part 2. They're great. They're great. Everyone's great. You guys are great. Like everyone. Stronghold. You got to hire some people. There's a lot of clever people out there. Pick one. (laughs) Just hire all these people because they're all brilliant. Like, yeah. Ah man, fantastic! So yeah, I think that's I think we all had a collective, huh? Yeah, and yeah. So it, it's funny because part of me is like, great. Every every expansion I've gotten for Terraforming Mars, my favorite part is finding the new Prelude cards 
and adding them to the prelude deck because that's the best part of the game. That's the best part of the game. And so I'm like, cool, I'll take more prelude stuff. I'm not going to spend $35 on Kickstarter for it. I will wait until it's $20 anywhere else, but I will definitely pick it up. But everything else around it is ridiculous and hilarious. So you keep doing that stronghold. We love it. It's (laughs) just you amuse all of us with your terrible, terrible understanding of public relations. Ah, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, a game that is another game that has not yet come out. This is a game from uh, Board and Dice. And they've been recently posting some information on their social media. This is Barcelona. It'll come out in 2023. It's looking at a Gen Con release. So you're taking on the role of 19th century Barcelona builders uh, working in this new district. So basically your main goal is to construct buildings to accommodate this new citizens who want to leave the old city. And in the process, you'll also build streets, create train lines and public services and you could also modernize the architecture. And that's really what just blew me away about this game because Board and Dice has worked very hard. And I know this because they sent out a survey of like, how can we improve our art and design? Mm. And if you take a look at the pictures here, this is a beautiful game. I think this mm-hmm. is the most attractive game that they've done to this point. The player boards, again, there's no information about the particular game itself, but it, it is a, you do have your own particular tableau. You have a number of different markers and buildings that you'll be able to put out. It looks like there's a place for, I don't know if there's a place for cards, but there's definitely slots available. And then there's individual buildings that have certain requests and requirements that you put together. There seems to be a market square where you'll put out tiles to claim uh, materials and special abilities throughout the game and again it's just a beautiful dynamic presentation i don't know what the game's going to be like but it looks great and barcelona it's a beautiful city and again the idea of you know city building is something i've always loved and tile placement worker placement beautiful wonderful board and dice coming out this year uh take a look it, it's very pretty. Yeah. And, you know, the coolest thing, too, is that the artist, Alexander Zawada, has worked on almost all of their other games over the last, like, two, three years. Yes. So it's not like they went out and got a new artist. They just narrowed it down from a team to, like, an individual perspective. And then they gave them, like, it seems like just carte blanche to make it look pretty instead of, yeah. like, kind of the generic that we stuff we've been getting in all the tea games. Yes. Like, this is... And that's my biggest issue lately with the T games is like, they're just kind of generic looking. Like even when the gameplay is interesting, they don't look that interesting. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if you told somebody about any of the T games or you start describing them, they're almost very similar. And like you say, presentation design. Yeah. And again, it's sad because they have their own special quality to them, but they almost look identical across the board. Yeah. So it, this is great. It looks beautiful. Um, Danny Garcia, the designer, I don't think they have any games out yet, but they have a bunch of stuff coming out in the next year or two, including Arborea, which was a beautiful looking Kickstarter that ran earlier this year. So excited to see what their games are like, because there seems to be a lot here. Yes, absolutely. All right. So those are all the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did at the table. And we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or if those games are a dreaded burn 
And for some reason, Fantasy Flight's in charge of that. So, <laughs> got you there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a Fantasy Flight situation. All right, Anthony, you played thing. What'd you play this week? I did. I played a game. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. The semester is over, everybody. It's happened. <laughs> I have time. Um, yeah, it's been four weeks since I've re- reviewed a game on the podcast. I know people have been saying so. And I'm, I'm back. I'm back. Hopefully, I'll keep being back. Um, the game I played this week is Dorf Romantic, the board game. Uh, and this is a board game version of a video game that came out a couple years ago, I think. Um, and I love the video game. And this board game does a very good job of replicating what makes that video game so good. So basic gameplay here, and it's the same for electronic or analog here. There's not a huge difference because the original video game is very board game like. So translating that to cardboard was probably not, I mean, they did a lot of very clever things here. So I'm not going to say it wasn't hard, but it wasn't like a huge leap, like bringing like civilization to the table. Right. Um, so what you have is you have two types of tiles. You have landscape tiles and you have task tiles. And you are going to flip them over in different orders. At any point in time, you need to have three tasks in your tableau. So if you have less than that, you'll have to flip from that stack. Otherwise, you flip from the landscape ta- stack. When you flip a, a tile, you place it somewhere in your tableau. You have to match up the different landscape types. Uh, you, they can dead end with each other, so it's not Carcassonne rules, but there are rivers and railways on these tiles, so they need those need to match up. Uh, the important thing, though, is that you have these little task icons that tell you a, how big a group needs to be to be completed. So when you flip a task tile, it might say, you know, water six. So you place that down wherever you're going to place it, and that task icon will remain there until that group of water, probably rivers, is six large. Like it stretches six tiles across in some form, Um, which you might think is simple because you just wait until later in the game, you start flipping them over. But if you place one of those tasks down and it goes above that number, it's discarded. So you can only complete it if you reach that number. So if you place it down in an exact spot or later on, you complete it. And you can only have three out at a time, so you can't like stack them up. So it's about efficiency. Like it's a tile laying game, but it's all about efficiency. It's about putting stuff out in the most efficient way possible, building these sections, not making any one section too big. There aren't that many types of terrain here. We have like farms and uh, villages and forests, and then you have the water and the train tracks. So like the five different types of uh, terrain. And the game will keep going until you run into landscape tiles, or if you somehow magically complete all the tasks, which seems very hard. I've not done that yet. Um, And that's the game. You score it up. You see how many tasks you completed. You score for those. There's flags that show up. If you enclose those flags, you get points for those. And then you get points for longest train track and longest uh, river. But there's also a campaign to the game because it is cooperative. Like you say all this, you're like, oh, it sounds like an interesting tableau builder. And you're fighting with each other. It's like, no, it's cooperative. (laughs) So you work together to kind of solve this puzzle effectively as possible. And as you complete different games, based on the score you get, you get a certain number of points that you then put onto a campaign sheet. And on that campaign sheet, you unlock different things, which you then get to open these boxes from the game. And you get new tiles and achievement cards and special abilities and all sorts of stuff that kind of builds out the game. Um, It's not legacy. It's just campaign stuff. You can always put it back and start over. 
And the campaign sheets and the score sheets come on these paper pads, so you can like keep track of them, but also like start over at any point in time. And there's a bunch of them. So often when I get games like this, I'm like, wow, they're very uh, ambitious about how often they think I'm going to play this. But it only takes 30, 40 minutes to play. Because it's cooperative, it's very, very family friendly. Like playing this with the kids was very easy because you just let them make the decisions. And then if they get stuck, you can kind of jump in and help a little bit. And then you add new things constantly as you unlock, like every game or two that allow the game to kind of transform and get a little more complex and the scores get bigger. Um, It's a lot of fun. Like I had seen buzz around this a little bit. It's gotten some like award previews and the the overall ratings for it were pretty high. You know, we last week, I think we talked a little bit about how video games translating into board games can be hit or miss. Mm -hmm. And this is one where I was like, it should work, but it probably doesn't because nothing ever really does. (laughs) But it does work. It, oh. it works really well. So <laughs> it's 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 almost surprising how well it works because they just got out of their own way. They didn't get too clever with it. They didn't try to replicate it exactly. But they took the spirit of the game. They took the tile laying element. The artwork is very f- familiar to people who played the video game. Sure. Um, they took the challenge element of it, which is one of the things that makes that game so much fun. It's a very zen game to play. It's cozy. It's it's just relaxing to go through and drop tiles down and build it out. And the board game really reflects that. So this is a buy. I, I highly recommend oh. it. It's only 30 bucks, so you can pick it up. And it's great for families. If you've played the video game, you will like this. If you like board games and you've played the video game, you will absolutely like this. If you like tiling games in general, right, it, it plays really smoothly. Um, solo game is just playing by yourself. There's no rule changes because mm-hmm. it's cooperative. Uh, and, and in that case, you can knock it out in like 15, 20 minutes. So highly recommended if this is the type of game you enjoy playing, which for me, it absolutely is. I love, love, love tile laying puzzles, uh, Dorf Romantic, the board game. Check it out. Nice. This plays, according to this, plays up to six players. It does. And I don't think it really matters because there's not really like nothing really changes based on player count. Like, you're just working together. Like, each person will go and flip a tile and place it. Sure. And you can choose whether you're going to discuss that placement or not. We we discuss it because I'm playing with my kids. But if you're playing with adults and you want to do it quietly, <laughs> right, to see how efficient you can be, you can do that to avoid alpha players. Mm-hmm. Um, but Like, you could play with any number of people. You could play with 10 people. It doesn't, I don't think it would really matter. Otherwise, it'd just be a little busy. But... uh Smaller player counts probably best just because of the flow of the game. And what's like the table hog size of this? Because this looks expansive. It's not as bad as you'd think. Okay. So it's there's 45 tiles in the landscape deck. So that's going to get you like a two by three tableau when you're done. Um, and then there's like 15 or 20 task tiles. Mm-hmm. I have yet to get through more than half of that stack. Um I imagine as I get better at the game or unlock other stuff, I'll get further down that stack. It might spread out a little bit, but it hasn't been a problem yet. Like half a table, not a problem. All right. Nice. Because it's one shared tableau. So it's not even like it. Like even when you have small tableaus, if everybody has their own, the game can kind of sprawl. This game is not that because you're all sharing one. Very cool. I'm, I'm loving that. It's a buy too on top of everything else. Yeah, no, I was surprised. Like, I, I picked it up kind of on a... I, like, I like the video game. I have it on my Switch, and I've played it a fair amount. And I was like, well, 
the box is pretty. They kept the artwork. Mm-hmm. If they just do the basics and make the tile laying work, it'll be fun. And they did that. And then they added some other stuff that, again, is from the video game. Um, and yeah, I was very impressed with it. So uh, check it out if all that stuff sounds interesting to you. Very good. Well, I got to play two games this week. First up is one of Feld's new city games. Um, I guess a re-implementation of Macau. Macau was one of my favorite Feld games, but again, because of reasons or because of companies and obviously all that kind of fun stuff, especially back in the day, I think it was Aaliyah had the license. It was out of print for like forever and obviously did not see the table time it deserved because again, one of Feld's better games. So Feld obviously came out with his city collection. We've talked about this multiple times before. I backed it. I got all four games. One of them was Amsterdam. Amsterdam, again, um, takes Macau's mechanics, updates the artwork, some of the design elements, the, the graphic design, so to speak, and then some of the actual gameplay is slightly different, especially on the cards. Some of that's for the better, some of that's for the worse. If you have not played Macau, and again, it's been forever for me, the main mechanics that we're looking at here is it's basically a pick up and deliver because you are visiting all the different port cities to be able to pick up all of these different products and then deliver them to all these different islands. So there is a lot of elements of picking up the right materials, getting your ship out to the right locations, and then being able to make the the most efficient trades possible. And that's kind of the main part of the game. There is certainly some set collections, obviously uh, talking about efficiency is concerned, picking up the same items so you can get to the port that is looking for those items lets you score a lot of additional victory points right there and then. Uh, The other main point beyond the dice being rolled to determine how many colored resources are available is the hand management, is the card play, is the drafting in this game. So basically at the start of the game, You have your own player board, and I should mention, again, whether you got the Super Deluxe version, which just gives you a couple of extra upgrade pieces, or if you got the the basic version of it, uh, new board. Board looks great, it's bright, it's colorful, better than the Macau board as far as artistic presentation is concerned, and, you know, ability to know where you're going and what you're doing. It also adds a board for all the resources, which is completely unnecessary and very hard to set up, but nonetheless, you're playing for a Deluxe version, so... It gives you the different colored resources with the matching building. I should also mention if you are if you have an issue or you're colorblind, uh, this game is going to be a huge problem for you because mm, it's no good. <laughs> you know the pinks and the browns. I mean, there's there's no symbology on a lot of things that go on here. They try. There is a couple of elements here, but primarily you're going to have a problem because the main mechanic about getting these colored resources onto your rondelle and then each round the rondelle kind of spins around and based on where you place the the resources on the rondelle because again you take the resources from the different buildings and the buildings have the dice kind of like assigned to them that's where the color goes so it's not like it's not like a i I guess like you can kind of set up as a rainbow like or light from dark like what you're taking can be very random like you could pick something that's like gray you know 
but because it has a six there, you're going to take six cubes of that gray, place it on your rondelle, the six spot, and then completely forget what color it is by the time it gets around. So just keep that in mind for all of our friends out there who might have a challenge with that. The rondelle's fun because, again, rondelles are always fun. Collecting resources are always fun. Populating resources, super fun. If you cannot produce resources on a particular round when the rondelle turns and just puts out all its, its goods, you're going to take negatives. You're going to take penalties in this game. And there's a couple of ways you take penalties. That's one of them. Another way you could get it is if your tableau is full up of cards, you're going to take a penalty too. Uh, primarily, there's three types of cards that come out to play in this open drafting. You have to take these cards, add them to your tableau. They're very beneficial, right? They'll allow you to exchange resources. They'll allow you to move boats. There's special abilities. There is end game scoring. There's set collection. That's a lot of fun, you know, being able to kind of put together those combos. There's also a market area in which you'll have an opportunity to, if your cards are not really doing everything they can for you, there's a scoring area. You pay the money. You get the ability. Awesome, right? So it, it gives you kind of an open nature to the game itself. But primarily, again, the game really comes down to rolling the dice. The dice determine how much material of that particular color is available. You choose two, add it to your rondelle. The rondelle turns. You draft cards. The cards give you special abilities and things to help you along the way. And then you move your ships to drop off the resources on the islands. There's a black market, which allows you to get like a money or, you know, uh, victory points if you kind of stuck. The extras in this game are not very big. Feld comes into play and kind of opens up the black market a little bit. Not much new here as far as that's concerned. But, you know, overall, Amsterdam's a good game. It's It, it retains a lot of the good elements of Macau. I do prefer Macau's cards because I think they just are a little more dynamic with their multi-use as far as, like, getting cubes or getting the special ability and resources and things like that. Um, Amsterdam's a lot straightforward. The iconography is a little challenging. Multiple times we did have to go back to the the appendix to make sure that we were reading cards correctly. We read a card and we're like, oh, it means this. And we read back and like, oh, it does not mean that. So uh, don't take, you know, don't take for granted that you may not know like exactly what the cards are trying to say to you. Um, Amsterdam gets a play. I, it's, it's a good game. I'm still a little disappointed because Macau... And maybe this is nostalgia. Maybe it's been such a long time since I played Macau. But it didn't blow me away. Like, like again, to be honest with you, like this is the reason why I backed the four mm -hmm. city box campaign. I love Bruges. I have Bruges. I didn't need to have that re-implemented. I mean, Marrakesh is a good game. It's a new game. That's cool and all. But I did not have Macau. Wanted Macau. Got Amsterdam. Not terribly disappointed, but again, not blown away by it either. That is disappointing to to some degree, though. Like, is, is Macau a buy for you? Macau's a buy for me. Yeah, so that sucks. Um, yeah, this is this is a play. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't played it yet. I have it. I also backed it, um, which is silly because I also own Macau. And now knowing that, or at least you know, you saying from your perspective that Amsterdam's not as good as Macau is worrying to somebody who spent a bunch of money on Amsterdam. <laughs> well, like again, the the graphic design and the art better. Like okay. the presentation's better, 
the pieces are better. Uh, the the personal boards are better. Everything is physically better about the game. I felt the card play was where it let me down. Yeah, but that's that's the thing though. Like doing better than an Alea mid two thousands production is not hard. Like Macau is not a pretty game. It's just no. a brilliant game, is all. Like yeah. and so like messing with the card balance seems. Oh, that's that's such an interesting decision to make because the card balance was so good. Like the two things that make that game so good are the resource management, like the way you allocate resources to that wheel, and then the cards you pull and how you manage them and worry about potential like penalties. Yeah. Like if you don't manage them properly. Like that's the fun of that game. Or, you know, depending on how much you enjoy that kind of thing. I mean, Messing with that balance seems like a a risky thing to do. It's bigger, it's better components. There's no reason not to play it. It's a good game, but again, like the card play and the tightness of Macau. Because I think when you and I, Anthony, had played this game, like going first was just like critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because the, the card drafting was so, so essential in this game. Right. Not as much here. Now, again, okay. maybe you're the kind of person that's like, hey, I want a game that's more open. I don't need to like score all the cards. Mm-hmm. I can just move my ships around. It's totally fine. Um, but player order still does matter because you have to pick up the resources on the board. But again, again, I, I'm looking forward to your, you playing this because you've played Macau a lot more than, than I have since you have the, the actual copy of it. Yeah, I've, I've played it a fair number of times and I played it most recently just like last year. So like, I, I really should get this to the table so I can compare them. Um, yeah, I think that would that would probably be the most proper review because my play of Macau was so long ago but the card play is different. But again, yeah. if you own this, you should be happy you own it. It's a good game. It just, it's just not, I don't know. It just doesn't. Yeah. Just uh, didn't give you that same feeling. I remember that did. first play we had in Macau. Both of us walked away from the table being like, how is this not in print? That was brilliant. Yeah. And I, and I think in that game, I started as the last player. And then because mm-hmm. we had not played that game before, I didn't know the cards, how essential the cards were. Right. Because I think that was a closed draft. I think you didn't see what, what was in people. Like the cards went around. It wasn't like on the table necessarily. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. This one, the cards are, are out. Um, so I didn't know how bad I, you know, what bad cards, like the, the value of the cards I was getting. And then I lost that game. I don't remember how bad or what role. But I was like, I lost this game and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need to go first. I need to put time and effort and money into be able to go first because I need to be able to see all the cards yeah. to build the tableau. And I just came out of that game. I love this. Let me let's let's buy this. And of course, it was out of print. So, oh. well, here's what we do. Next time we have a game day, I'll bring Macau. You bring Bruges, and we'll play all four, and we can have a direct <laughs> comparison of them. There you go. All right. Well, that's Amsterdam. Now let's. <laughs> Let's get a little crazy up here, Anthony. Um, I know this is a game that you have. You backed this. This is Horseless Carriage. I know. I was, I'm not annoyed that you got to before me. I'm glad you got to play it. But it was a whole thing getting it. And so, like, when you put it on the spreadsheet, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I need to play that. Yeah, it's such a picture from game night. I was just yeah. like, oh, playing this game. Where it's like our, our second play of the game. And yeah, this, this is the, I, I guess in a lot of ways, the most anticipated game from Splatterspielen. 
in forever. I mean, Food Chain Magnet really just kind of put them on the map. And this is their first like, new game since then. So yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Hey, uh, we're coming out with a new game. No information." And I did. I was like, "Here's one hundred and fifty dollars or whatever it was. <laughs> Have fun." <laughs> yeah, it was a very expensive game, but their games tend to be very expensive, very limited, and again, Food Chain Magnet, and I guess the catch-up mechanic, which was the expansion for Food Chain Magnet, was just so big and so huge that this was going to be like, this is going to be the second coming, this is great. Uh, and again, if you've ever played Splatters before, or if you fear to play Splatters before, it's usually because they are very heavy. Uh, on Board Game Geek, this weighs at a 4.14 out of 5. So, this is crunch. This is crunch for you people. And every time I sit down a Splatter game, I'm like, am I going to be able to play this? Or am I going <laughs> to... Like, how bad am I going to feel after, like, my first turn, like, two hours later and be like, God, I can't believe I took that that spot instead of that spot and now I have to just, like, live with it. Alright. Horseless Carriage, you are inspiring industrials uh, building and selling new... Now, when I say new, I say new because in this time error alternate universe, cars are new. Uh, and, it's, you know, and so how you're putting the cards, the cars together with the different parts and the requirements is typically based upon what the market is looking for, what the public is looking for. So in that way, it's very much like Fuche Magnet, where you're trying to create an engine that will feed the needs of what the market's looking for. And again, you can influence the market just like in Fuche Magnet with advertising. So I'm like, aha, I know that mechanic. I know exactly what to do with that. So you're now here's here's where the game gets a little funky. Okay, so Splatter's kinda known, if you haven't played a Splatter game before, it's kinda known for its I don't know, Anthony, maybe you can help me describe their artistic graphic design kind of Ugly. Like, Ugly. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's first draft. I don't know. <laughs> Alright. So I was gonna be a lot kinder, but yeah. It's, it's not good, but that's fine. That's part of the charm. Like it is. It is because it, it's unique. It it's a house style. You recognize it. Yes, it's unique to them. It uh -huh. works. Some people hate it, and I understand why they hate it. <laughs> it's it's literally all four. It's like it's like various shades of gray. Yeah, that game. It's like it's like whiteboard grid display shades of gray. Like welcome to Splatter, my friends. Sit down and enjoy like a really super crunchy game. Now the funny thing here is the fonts. They actually put some effort and some some artistic design into it. We were all shocked by that. We're okay, like, why are these fonts looking so good here? I don't I don't understand why that's a thing. So, the game really comes down to a couple of different interest interesting mechanics. The main mechanic that you're going to be dealing with is that you're going to have your factory, and along with your factory comes a showroom. So you have this black and gray because again everything's black and gray square and on this black and gray square it is ever so slightly um marked hat like by by squares right so because what you're going to do is and again it's a polyomino game so okay so you got this black square all the different car parts that can come into your factory are also squares the advertising also a square 
the showrooms, and the cars. Now, the cars, you could build three types of cars. It's a standard car, truck, and sports car. So, what you mainly have to do, and what's going to keep you up at night, <laughs> is have this black, black square and all these shades of gray components, and you have to place them on your board in such a way that they line up and t- are touching and orthogonal to each other. And again, there's also these chevrons, these little arrows that kind of denote that you actually have researched that technology. Your car, car, truck, or sports car, the showroom, and all the different parts have to be connected. Okay? Sounds easy. Small little square board, different shape components. Not crazy shapes. They're all squares and rectangles. There's nothing There's nothing uh, Feast for Odin here. It is very, very difficult to manage this board and these tiles which are just, you know, plain cardboard, because you move one thing and everything moves. There's nothing that, there's no indents, there's no locks, there's no hard lines. It's just, you put the pieces down, and as you're, again, it's the space situation, right? So as you place things down, like, I'm running out of space. Don't worry, every round you're going to get another black square to add to your growing tableau of pieces, but in that particular turn, everything has to kind of line up and connect to each other in order for you to show that you have researched those particular types of tech in order to meet the demand of the public. So at the start of the game, there are typically two different, you know, areas of interest that are, that are placed on a separate board. Now this separate board is essential because it's going to line up in a grid format and it's going to tell you what the public is looking for. Maybe they're looking for safety and design. Let's take safety and design. There are multiple of these kind of like long rectangles that show all the different parts that are related to that particular element of the card, the car. So at the start of the game, two come out, they're lined up perpendicular to each other, and that sets the grid. The board itself has these marks, little squares, that tell you how much of that particular element of the car has to be in your showroom attached to your car so that you could purchase that car. So maybe they want a lot of design in the car and a lot of safety. Maybe they want, you know, two of this and two of that. Great. So you get to see the market. You get to research and and have your your, uh, pieces on the board. Now... The other mechanic here is a little odd and different. So there's a a production area, right? So you'll be able to up your production through research. And also, you'll be able to pay points in order to situate yourself on a marketing versus research track. So if you're ahead on the marketing track, you get to sell your cars first. And I'll talk about how you sell your cars. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, you sell your cars. And then on the other end of that, from one to five, there's a research track. So if you're at the opposite end, you'll be able to research the technology based upon how many people have researched it. So you get to almost like, I don't know if it's steal or copy someone's technology. So if you are at, you know, at a low end, let's say one, only one other player has to have researched that technology. 
for you to be able to research that technology as well. That's the benefit, right? So there's a trade-off on that on that spectrum, ver- you know, like how early do you want to sell versus how much do you want to get a tech that you don't have at this moment? The research also allows you to bump other people up on those different elements of the cars so that you can research them as well. Like, hey, I don't have that particular research. You do. Let me bump up you and other people in order to make it more viable for me to be able to research that. Awesome. Love it. Cool. All that kind of fun stuff. Now, I mentioned that grid where you have those different two elements that are available. You're going to be able to play cards. This goes back to another element as far as food chain magnets concerned. So I don't know if you remember this, Anthony, like there's a, that midway point in food chain magnet where you decide how much more money you want to play into the bank. Mm-hmm. Well, here you get, you have a hand of cards. Everyone has the same kind of hand of cards and you decide what cards you want to like market to the, to the public. So maybe you choose a card with, trucks or sports cars or regular cars there's also a time mechanic on the bottom of the cars so the game ends two ways either time runs out or the tiles run out in the car so pretty much you set up the board you set up that grid based upon those cards where the cars go out now your showroom which is another square rectangle you have a choice of three to place in your showroom Based upon how much advertising is connected to that showroom, you get this really weird plasticky square. And you take that plasticky square or rectangle, depending on how much advertisement you've attached to your showroom, and you get to place it anywhere in that grid where those cars, trucks, and sports cars have been populated. You place that grid over it, that shows your, you know, your marketing area where people could purchase cars. You look back at your showroom, you look back at your car, what kind of you know research and what kind of things does it have? Does it meet the conditions? Great. You get you get to look at your your ability to actually produce the cars. So you'll be able to take that many cars. You score the amount of money that's listed on that grid, and that moves throughout the game as well. You continue to do that, you keep adding boards, you can add cars or not add additional cars. You continue to add research and more parts to your car because as the game goes on, certain requirements of these different cars, like design for example, right? Maybe they all want like a fancy uh, shade of paint on the car. Eventually, every requirement at some point or the other will become required. It'll be a basic requirement. Like, oh, you have air conditioning? Air conditioning needs to be a basic requirement for everybody so now just like food chain magnet you must always have air conditioning as part of your cars in order to be able to sell your cars your trucks your sports cars Mm. so that kind of ups the difficulty and makes it more challenging as far as trying to fit and situate the different pieces the new boards come on there and you try to squeeze things together and then against your other opponents you're selling up the cars in those particular regions Sports cars sell for the most, and the more elements in the car, the more research, the more different things, disc brakes and a chassis and all this other kind of fun stuff, the more that's in the car, the more you can, you know, focus on a particular area that will, you know, benefit you with the most money available. That's pretty much the game. It looks incredibly complicated. 
it is, in my experience, one of their simpler games. The only real challenge to the game is terribly unfortunate, which is situating the car parts and the advertising and all the rooms on those boards is, is kind of a nightmare because you move one thing and because it's so compact, everything starts to move off the board. And it's essential that everything is properly lined up along with these little chevron arrows in order to show that you have the proper technology for that particular card. I did not enjoy at all that kind of like situating the squares. It's not a polyomino problem for me. I was down with it. It didn't bother me whatsoever that the car had different shapes and stuff like that. That was kind of fun. It's the fact that everything has to be condensed and multiple times we had to check over other people's boards because if something moves, it doesn't look right. You know, it's it doesn't carry over properly. Mm. So, horseless carriage for me gets a play. Um, I enjoyed it. It's somewhat smaller of a game than Fuche Magnet, right? Obviously, you don't have a whole staff that's come into play here. Uh, I think it, the game could have actually benefited from that. It might be a little cool. There's a weird mechanic where you can actually put the parts into the particular factory showroom before researching it. Not a fan of that at all, because again, those parts do run out, and when they do run out, you can't get them. But overall, it's a good splatter game. It's a really solid splatter game. It's a little bit different than their average splatter game. And once you get over that kind of like board situating mechanic, if you can... Uh, it plays really clean, simple, and obvious, and uh, I think it's one of their better games in that respect. Okay, that's interesting. Like, what would you compare it to then, like, on that scale? It's lighter... Not, not Food Chain Magnet, but, like, where does it sit? Oh, it's lighter than... I mean, you're talking about weight? No, like, in terms of what you like. Oh, okay. I mean, you and I have played a lot of Splatter games over the, over the last several years. Yeah, uh, like, I feel like we fall on different wavelengths. We do. Days. Like, I love Great Zimbabwe. You don't like it. I don't like that. I loathe Indonesia. I don't remember. I like that. Yeah. I love Antiquity. Um, Antiquity is my favorite. Okay. Um, Although I do love Bus, too. Bus is is a great game. Um, This falls falls in the middle. I like this better than the Great Zimbabwe. Uh, But I I still like Antiquity is my favorite. Food Chain Magnet. Indonesia. And then I would say... Uh, horseless carriage and then great zimbabwe roads and boats and you know several other 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 bus buses kind of i don't i don't bus is a splatter game but it doesn't it's doesn't feel like a splatter game right it's like it it doesn't in some ways but in other ways like you're really mean which is what a splatter game is so (laughs) well at least the new graphic design is kind of hip right it's yeah 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 that why haven't they done more of those? I don't know. Maybe, it's really cool. Maybe it didn't I like sell, it. but like it's so pretty. Like, yeah, I like bus. Bus is bus is one of my. I, I would say it's in my like top one hundred and fifty or top one hundred and twenty. Like, it's a good game. Bus is a great game. Yeah, yeah, big fan. All right, so that's all the games that hit our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review this week. We're talking board games, but in particular, we're talking about board games that are all about uh, the mental health theme. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and we want you all to be aware that a lot of us out there are struggling with mental health issues daily. It's like anything else in our body. It breaks, it hurts, it's sore, and it's challenging throughout. 
And a lot of mental health issues are invisible to other people. So you may not know that people are suffering or challenging challenge from mental health issues because they're doing their very best to mask all of the challenges and the problems that they're having. It affects everybody at some point in their life. There's certainly spectrums between, you know, a momentary issue that may be days, weeks, or months versus lifetime debilitating, crippling kind of situations. Um, it's something that needs more conversation. And we absolutely want you all to know out there that we love and support you all. Please get the help that you need and deserve. And again, if you're not suffering, wonderful, but always check in with people that you love and care about. You never know who could use, you know, an opportunity to vent, to listen, to care, to know that you're there. And also for your own positive psychologies, you know, mental health is not just about I'm dealing with a serious issue. Sometimes it's maintenance, right? You go to the dentist every six months or so in order to get a cleaning. Maybe it's it's an opportunity to check in with a therapist for the very first time, talk about life, see where you're at, and that would benefit you personally, your relationship with others, and even your life and your productivity. So mental health is part of every health. You go to the gym, go to a therapist. Therapists are awesome. They're great people. They love and care about you. Go take an opportunity to learn more about yourself and about others. And again, we have some great games for you. So I got 10 games that are all about mental health. And again, these are fun games. These are games that hopefully are educating you and exploring some of the general ideas and where mental health issues can come into play, but they're not games to like better your mental health. That That's a whole separate thing. And again, speak to your mental health professional, speak to your doctor, whoever your medical doctor is. They can certainly help and guide you towards best care possible. So, Anthony, I got 10 games for you. I know you've played several of these games out here. So I'm going to run through this list because I think there are a lot of fun games. And I think these are games that everyone should be playing. So first up is a game that is not out yet. I did back it because I was really excited. Uh, I should mention I'm working on my second doctorate in psychology. So I'm like, it's coming out of my ears, kids. So <laughs> Unconscious Mind. This was a recent Kickstarter that I backed. It was a lot of money. But yeah, it was. I, was, I was really psyched about it because it is all about Freud, the father of modern day psychoanalysis, and his group called uh, the Wednesday Psychological Society. So it was about these early pioneers in psychology that were cultivating all of the wondrous ideas that were coming out of all different sides of medicines and philosophies and physiologies. And they started the psychoanalytic movement. So like the idea of like Freud and laying on the couch and stuff like that was a huge step for mental health. It, it did so much good for so many people. And it was that first time where we understood that our internal world, how we think about ourselves, what we think about the world, the things that are happening inside our head have value and should be discussed and grown. So Freud was always about dreams and about interpreting different ideas and metaphors this game really does a really great job. Some beautiful artwork and design here and some great diversity of all the people out there who are making a difference in people, people's lives. So um, Unconscious Mind, you could still, I guess, back at some level if you can find it. It should hit retail pretty soon. And when I get it, I'm super, super playing it. Yeah, it looks interesting. Uh, I That cost and, you know, <laughs> I see a therapist. I think mental health is the most important thing in the world. 
I don't necessarily have the love for the history uh-huh. <laughs> and the logistics of it. So I did not back the game myself, but I'm very interested to see how it plays. Yes, absolutely. And again, it might, it might, again, it's the idea that your dreams and your world have mm-hmm. value. So we all bring a unique perspective to the world and that should be examined because an unexamined life is not worth living, my friend. Ooh, very nice. See, go deep here. Um, next up is The Grizzled. We've talked about this. We reviewed this. This is a co-op game set in World War One, where players work together to survive the horrors of war. Uh, the game touches on themes of trauma, PTSD, and the effects of mental health um, from soldiers who are in war, returning from war, veterans and such. Uh, I remember playing this and going, oh, this is it? It's a little small card game. I, I can't believe this is it. This, you know... And you sit down and you play one of these soldiers that are trying to work with all of it, their comrades. And again, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is something that most of us suffer from from one time or the other. Life is hard, challenging, suffering is real. But especially for those who've, who have served in military or police service, um, it's especially challenging. And this game really takes a good look at how we survive because we survive as a group we support each other's group it's a very dynamic wonderful co-op game a lot of fun and it's about inspiring each other getting each other through those difficult times by playing cards that match certain symbols and then giving rousing speech to get everyone on board this this is a great game um it, it's a funny one to, I mean, it's not funny that's the opposite of funny but it's interesting because people sit down they're like oh it's a hard co-op and then when you actually spend like eight seconds looking at it you're like oh this is a lot more than just like difficult mechanics it's mechanics that represent the difficulties of life like i've brought this to my classroom before and had students come up to me and say this is really depressing why would anybody want to play this and you know from an 18 year old you're like oh that's funny but it at the same time it's just like it's reflective of so many different challenges that we all go through yes honed down to this very very specific terrible traumatic event um very, very well made. Yeah, war is not good for anybody's mental no. health. No. Period. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It is a challenging situation. Again, if you know anyone who has served or is currently serving, um, it makes all the difference in the world just to reach out, let them know you're there. And again, um, that is the difference as, as far as the community is concerned. Uh, next up is Fog of Love. This is a romantic comedy card game. It's a board game. Uh, where players create characters and navigate the ups and downs of romantic relationships. Uh, touches on a, num- a number of very important themes, including communications, empathy, uh, the role of mental health as, as far as in a partnership is concerned, and the challenges that can be having a partner, uh, mm. managing a relationship, managing a family, and uh, especially for Fog of Love, they do a wonderful job. I think they probably do the best job that's out there as far as representation, including the LGBTQ plus population out there and the challenges that they face. I think there's even, I think recently came out uh, an expansion for like couples who like, again, it's a gameplay mechanic dealing with COVID-19 and being like, you know, like isolated, like, cause we all got locked down for that time. Mm-hmm. So again, another challenge of the relationship. So relationships are challenging, but they can also be, you know, opportunities for wonderful growth and it's through that communication with your partner that honest communication that is so incredibly valuable and again 
playing Fog of Love is awesome because it's a romantic comedy and there's a lot of different there's a lot of different scenarios to play from like the completely like hilarious and like I don't know. I don't want to give anything away because a lot of it is like played out in the cards as far as the story is concerned. But it's fun. It's not it's not lifetime movie of the week. It really is a real kind of fun game. And again, there's a lot of mechanics that you could play into. So yeah. So check in with your partner. Again, you never know. All right. Next up. Oh, you haven't played sorry anything. Have you played Fog of Love? I've played Fog of Love. I have never played Fog of Love. No, it's it. I don't know why it's a game that I've been interested in playing, and I I, I even sat down and did an interview with the designer of Foggy Love uh-huh. at Gen Con like eight years ago. I was fascinated by the game, just didn't have a chance to play it. Yeah, and again, even if you don't have a partner, just find another gamer. It's a two player game, so you and you and I, Anthony, we could play this game. We should. Let's do it. Uh, absolutely. All right. Next up is ooh, this is going to be a fun one. How about the pursuit of happiness? Mm. Um, again, <laughs> this pursuit. Again, not getting too philosophical with everyone out there, but the pursuit of happiness, trying to obtain it all. Right, like you want to have it all, you want to live it all. That's kind of challenging, right? So, making those choices, and as you get older, reflecting on the choices you make and reminiscing on those is challenging. Right. Because like in order to do one thing, you do have to give something else up. And the pursuit of happiness is a fun, you know, like I would like kind of a humorous take on that kind of challenges that we kind of face as far as like, should I go to college? Should I get start this relationship? Should I start my own business? Do I want to spend more time with my family? Where's my happiness out in those different things? And again, I think it's a really good game. A lot of expansions are available for this game as well. Because I think you want to run through these scenarios, this kind of simulation, and say, all right, so if I did these things, how would it affect my life? Or if I would have lived my life different, how would those things be different? And again, it's a self-discovery game, self-care, and it's all about achieving um, happiness, which again, is what we're all looking for for as far as mental health is concerned. Again, it's not always dark diagnosis. It's about proper mental health and happiness in your life. It's it's a really interesting game. Like and mechanically, I don't know that it really captured my attention as much as some other games about like life building. Um, but I still was really fascinated by it and have held on to a copy because of all those elements and because it's so positive. Sure. Like a lot of life building games, they they have paths that you can go down. We're like, oh, that's depressing, and it's not bad, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, it's 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 a Euro game too. Yeah, it's, it's got some crunch to it. I would also recommend, just as a side note, if you're looking for something lighter than The Pursuit of Happiness, CV mm, is yep. a very CV's colorful, great. light, fun, family game, hilarious artwork, and it simulates a lot of the same <laughs> ideas and mechanics. So, yes, I love CV, too. I own a copy of that as well. Uh, next up is a, something a little more heavy, right? So this is Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. So Holding On is a cooperative game where players take on the role of hospital staff caring for a terminally ill patient named Billy Kerr, right? Um, the game explores grief, loss, um, end-of-life care, basically kind of helping that patient deal with their long-term suffering, um, end-of-life situations, and helping them to look back at the previous challenges that they've faced, the choices that they've made, and how medical staff and professionals 
can help benefit somebody at those later stages of life. It's very important, essential. Mental health is always positively important in your life, even later stages. So um, a very important game to take a look at. Yeah, no, this is a game that I brought into the classroom uh, just to show the diversity of things that you can explore in cardboard because it's not... The, the gameplay is interesting. The gameplay is really effective. But the fact that you can do this, like, you can make a game about anything. Like, yeah. a game is not just a game. And this is, like, the specific example I often hold up to show that. Because it's not something that anybody... Like, if you described it, no one wants to play yeah. a cooperative game about taking care of a terminally ill patient. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound fun. But the game is fascinating and, and interesting. And because of that, it, it is fun to see what comes out of it. It's really interesting. Yeah, and I think this is an important part to make. I mean, there's two important parts. First is physical illness and mental health are, or physicality and mental health go hand in hand, right? So if you're physically not well, your mental health is at risk, right? Mm -hmm. So both of those are true. And mental health and mental illness does have an effect on your body. So mm -hmm. the mind and body are not two separate things. They're one thing. You are one thing. And that's something to take care of. The second thing I think is really important, the reason why I picked this game too, Anthony, is we have to consider the caregivers. Mm -hmm. Right? So whether that's parents or kids taking care of you know, their elders, um, nurses, doctors, psychologists, therapists, um, maintenance i mean there's just there's home caregivers there are so many people that are essential to the well-being of you know patients in the in the hospital and the care and again these are essential workers these are saviors these are people who um, make it possible for you know so much so many of us to get through the day so we're so blessed and thankful for all those wonderful people out there who have made their cause and their uh you know, their career to help others, but we also need to take care of them as well. So um, please consider that, right? Um, the people who take care of us need to be taken care of. Uh, next up, Anthony, is a little bit of a fun game. This is from our friends at Mind Clash Game. I know you play this a lot. Uh, Cerebria. <laughs> I, uh, I have played this a lot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's a fun game, but it's an interesting game for sure. It's a very much like, like Pixar kind of inside... You know, like, it's a team-based game. Uh, it's about, you know, again, we're not we're not talking real mental health here. We're talking about, you know, players play as spirits, powerful yeah. entities representing bliss and gloom, right? So, again, inside-out kind of thing. Herman mm -hmm. said if you go way back to the day. Um, so, I think it was a four-player game here, right? Um, it's four, or if you play with the expansion, you can play six, because there's a third faction. That's, like, neutral. <laughs> so, uh so yeah, two sides of human nature struggling to control the shape of your inside world. You've seen this kind of represented in many forms. And again, it's the idea of there are different elements and spirits and whether it's spirituality, whether it's psychology, um, whether it's emotions and how they kind of play with our thoughts and feelings. Um, it's another way to it's another way to kind of approach and think about the challenges that we face as far as like living in the world, right? Cause there are moments of gloom and dread and despair, but there's certainly hope 
and faith and belief in ourselves and others that kind of counteract that at the same time. Yeah. And, and it's interesting for a couple of reasons because it does all those things. It does it really well. It makes it visually compelling, but there, because it's a mind clash game, you could also, if you're not comfortable engaging with that, just focus on the mechanics, right? It's, it's a mechanically de- deep experience. Oh, There's yeah. a lot going on. So it's kind of up to you how you want to engage with it. Some of these games, you don't really have a choice but to engage with the subject matter. Like if you're playing Holding On or if you're playing, you know, uh, The Grizzled, you are it's in your face, right? Yes. If you don't want to deal with PTSD or like end of life decisions, you probably shouldn't play those games. This is a game, though, you can still enjoy and have fun with and just kind of explore human nature without having to necessarily grapple with your own, you know, whatever hangups you might have with that. Um, Which I think is important with the mental health aspect, because sometimes you're like, I'm not in a space where I can deal with that right now. Uh, And Cerebria, I don't think forces you to be in that space. No. And again, these are games for awareness as it's mental health awareness, but these are not games for like, this is going to improve your mental health. No, no, no. (laughs) Like these games. Yeah. These games are going to challenge you. But Sarabia, as you mentioned, Anthony, is, is certainly the most, well, we have one other game here, but like abstracted as far as that's concerned. Yeah, for sure. Development. Uh, next up, again, the opposite of Sarabia is... Not this, fun. This game no, is not fun. <laughs> uh, this War of Mine. Um, it's a board game about trauma uh, that's endured by civil um, civilians of war. These are people who are living through those wartime situations as the war is kind of exploding around them. Um, again, it's a survival game, but it's also, you know, all about them dealing and processing with trauma. This is based on the video game as well. And it gives you a glimpse on, you know, how we cope in some of the darkest times. Yeah, it's a brilliant game based on a brilliant video game that is, it's heavy. It's challenging. I'd put it up there with like freedom as a game that's just really difficult to play. Sure. But absolutely, you should play it. Yes. At some point. Sure that? Now, on the completely super abstract side, there is dot, 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 and then we held hands. Uh, this is a co-op game about finding balance between partners. Uh, again, not necessarily romantic partners, just partners. And it's a two-player game in which you are managing a hand of cards and trying to match up based upon uh, this map play that goes on. So you're trying to both enter the center of this kind of emotional, I don't know, it's very abstracted, this emotional cosmos where you're trying to meet each other across the way by playing the responses to the appropriate emotions. Again, very abstracted, uh, really cute, beautiful little artwork here. And again, it's another opportunity for you to connect with another person in a two-player game that's not bang bang shoo shoo it's about like i have feelings and emotions and i'm kind of expressing them to you again abstracted so no no worry there and then you get to do the same here and we're trying to uh connect on that on that wavelength uh yeah no this is not it's 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 very interesting abstract approach to uh kind of a co-op yeah experience like that our friend Daniel, way back when, kind of pointed this out to me, and I picked it up on Kickstarter. It was very inexpensive, um, and I, I think it was, you know, it was one of those ideas of a game that, like, it made a lot of sense as far as, like, you want to sit down and play with a person, 
and really connect, this is a great game. Yep. Um, next up is Comanauts. Uh, this is a, again, this is more of a realistic, heavy game. It's about the race to uh, revive um, a doctor who is created all this wonderful scientific kind of discovery and you're exploring his tormented mind and trying to pull out um, elements of his story that will actually help him come to some sort of catharsis and like become you know come out of it right come out of the coma um, this is part of uh, Jerry Hawthorne's adventure book series um, you probably know him best as you know through stuff fables and a very rich and engaging story. I think that's probably the most dynamic part of this game because you get to play as one of the different archetypes inside of his mind, trying to help him work out the different challenges that he's faced that lent, you know, end up leading him to this kind of place. Uh, and again, different, different way of looking at mental health and how um, everyday struggles stick with us. I always wanted to play this. Like I love stuff fables. I love Jerry Hawthorne, my semistics, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Never got this one to the table, but just looks like a fascinating, such a huge leap. Yeah. And not that stuff fables doesn't explore things that are interesting from they a mental do. health perspective. It's about yes. growing up and it's about being responsible and autonomy in the world. But this kind of levels that up to another degree. Absolutely. And to kind of wrap it up on a, a happy side, I guess, <laughs> um, your friend is sad. <laughs> uh, this is actually a game. This is a card game. And you probably have, you know, uh, seen this at, at some element before. This is kind of the, the famous artwork here from like, again, this is just kind of a fun perspective of trying to cheer up your friend and going through, you know, a really humorous kind of brain deck card where you're trying to collect and match feelings and dealing with brain goops uh, in order to kind of score cheer points. So it's fun. It's, it's, you know, again, it's that I, I think, I think all of these games do an excellent job of approaching, you know, mental health and mental illness in a way in which you could feel like this is the right level. And I think you did a great job, Anthony, like what works for you as far as, kind of like engaging with it this is the most kind of fun dynamic mm -hmm. uh kind of way so yeah uh your friend is sad so but the game's fun so it's colorful <laughs> your friend's sad but you're having fun so it's all good all balances out <laughs> you know sometimes that happens in life so yeah no i think that it's a great little game and again something to kind of like engage with other people and sometimes you need to do that it's you know you play from one to four players and i think they just the general concept of it makes it a lot of fun so i think this was a kickstarter way back in the day here so there you go 10 games about mental health uh themed board games all of these will give you certain perspectives into people's lives the challenges they face and all the different dynamics it's not a full kind of exploration of this the person or the self but it's a good place to get started. Um, again, I highly recommend whether it is because of mental health, mental illness issue or because you want to have the best mental health possible, seek out a therapist. I have one. It's a really good opportunity to explore more about who you are and to build better relationships with the people around you and be 
as productive as possible in life and to have the best life possible. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all at the seat of the table. Take care, everyone.